honor of introducing our speaker for today uh, as well. That's why I'm also up here doing the announcements. Um, a lot of you know him, uh, but some of you who are newer to FBC, um, even within this year, you might not know uh, who this person is. Um, so I want to call up Pastor Terry uh, now uh, to the stage. We can welcome him. Um, and then he's going to stand behind me and listen to me talk about him, okay? <laughs> um, but um, Kerry has been, for those of you who don't know, a lot of us do, but uh, for those of you who don't know, Kerry uh, has been serving as the interim pastor um, of our Pyeongtaek Church um, all this year. Um, he started in that role all the way back in January. It's hard to believe it's been almost 12 months, a full year. Um, and, you know, it's just been uh, a real encouragement to me um, I think even our, our team, uh, to see how much he has grown as a leader, um, but more than that, as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor. Um, but also, it's been so amazing to see how uh, that move and transition has impacted his family, um, his relationship with his wife as well, in such a positive way. Um, you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Carrie and I started working together almost four years ago now. Actually, we started working together technically it was around, right around this season when um, the merger between these two churches made, was made official. And um, just personally, he has meant so much to me. Um, Carrie, if you don't know him, uh, if you do know him, uh, you know he is one of the most supportive um, and humble, um, but beyond that, most loyal people you'll ever meet in your life. Um, he loves the local church. Uh, he cares so much about what happens here uh, and about honoring God um, in, in the work of ministry. And he has truly been a foundational piece uh, of getting this gathering here to where it is now, even though you might not know that and might not see him. Um, you know, most of us, most of us here don't get to see him very often anymore, but um, he is actually in the office with us every single week. Um, he's in all of our staff meetings, and he still serves on our leadership table, which we'll meet tonight, by the way. We do that once a month uh, with all of our elders and leaders. He's a part of that. And uh, just, you know, making big decisions and a huge influence on our community. So, again, I'm so grateful for him. Um, well, that being said, okay, um, today I get to share some news with you as well. Okay. Uh, and I guess this is what uh, people refer to as bittersweet. Um, a few weeks ago, um, about three weeks ago now, um, we were in our, have our office hours. And uh, Carrie knocked on my door and uh, came to my office and let me know that he felt like the Lord was calling him to stay in Pyeongtaek and to pastor there full time. And um, while there was part of that conversation that was a little bit of panic, <laughs> uh, and a little bit difficult, uh, even for me, he's been serving here as like associate pastor. Um, there was at the same time a great amount of peace, uh, knowing that um, I could actually affirm that decision and tell him that's the right decision you. It's the right decision for Pyeongtaek. It's the right decision for, for your family. Um, he's the right person to lead that gathering moving forward. Um, no doubt about it. Um, you know, here at Freedom Village, if you've been at any of our one-on-one classes or you've just been here at any amount of time, you know, you've heard me say, um, we want to be about multiplication. We want to have a heart for multiplication. It's on a banner up here for a reason. Um, we want to be about church planting. Um, we want to be about sending people it's no coincidence to me at all that to start this fall, um, when I was away this summer, um, 
the Lord laid on my heart very specifically the church at Antioch. And so when I came back, um, that's the message that was shared here. Uh, start off this whole entire year in August saying we're going to be about sending people and shared that story of this church um, who it didn't make human sense, uh, but the Holy Spirit came down and set apart Barnabas and Paul to go and do a new work. Um, and I think we're seeing that here. Um, and Carrie's a part of that. It doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to send full-time staff pastor at a church our size that's growing to send one person away. Um, not on a human level, but on a God level, it makes all the sense in the world. And so, uh, again, today, while there is certainly part of this that is sad, at the same time, this is a great moment of celebration. Uh, we get to celebrate what God is doing in and through the lives of his people, in and through the lives of his church, in and through the lives of Carrie and his family. So, um, can I say amen to that? Amen? Yeah, we get to celebrate. And so, uh, what I want to do now is um, I'd like to call the, the elders up here and the rest of our leadership table. Okay, to join me, those guys. Can you come to the stage um, if you're here in the room? Pastor Levi is not here. He's actually preaching in Pyeongtaek. <laughs> um, but he would be a part of that as well. Call them up if you're here. Uh, we want to pray uh, and bless Carrie now as a church, as a gathering. We want to affirm him. We want to ask that God would do great things in and through his life, but also in in the ministry there in Pyeongtaek. And so we're gonna lay hands on him. And then as a form of agreement, we do this when we dedicate children as well. As a form of agreement, we see this all throughout you know, the scriptures. If you would, as we're praying for him, if you could extend your hand towards Carrie as well, just as a form of affirmation and blessing uh, towards this decision and towards Carrie and his family as well. Okay, let's pray together. Um, God, uh, Heavenly Father, together uh, as the church, uh, we just wanna lift up uh, Carrie now to you. We want to ask first and foremost that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in him in a mighty way, that he might boldly and courageously proclaim your gospel to a people who are in desperate need of truth. God, I also pray for patience and perseverance over Carrie now. You know that pastoring is, is hard. Uh, it is difficult. Um, at times it can bring seasons of questioning. Um, it can bring seasons of deep discouragement. But I pray that Carrie would know the grace and peace that you and you alone provide, that you would sustain him, that you would be his source of life, that you would be his source of strength, and that you would protect him from any attacks of the enemy. And Father, we of course want to lift up Carrie's wife, Bora, to you now as well. I pray that you would surround her with encouragers, that you would give her the grace to support and help this work. And along with that, I pray that this decision uh, would bring them closer together as a family as well. Bless their marriage. God, we also pray for a fruitful ministry in Pyeongtaek. I pray that many would come to know the truth of the gospel there, that many there would be strengthened and encouraged in their faith, and that it would be a gathering that honors and glorifies you above all things. God, we, we just thank you so much that you choose to use us, that you gift us. And I pray that all of us together as a gathering would be encouraged by Carrie's faithfulness and his willingness to follow you wherever you've asked him to go. May we, as his sending church, commit ourselves to praying for him, to praying for his family, and to supporting him as we are able. We love you, God. Thank you for all that you're doing here. Um, it's incredible. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we clap? Let's praise God. Thankful for you.
Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, he, um, he gets the kind words. He gets the send off, and then he's got to turn around and preach. We're looking forward to that. So let's welcome him one more time. Pastor Kerry. again good to see you guys um someone was i saw someone and they were surprised to see me and i said um yeah i'm only here now for 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 um i'm only here when there's something to do <laughs> you're not going to see me randomly anymore so but it's good to good to be here with you guys um and i'm excited to be here and and just like james said pastor james said this is bittersweet um I've been a part of this church for 18 years. I've been here since 2005, hard to believe. Um, time has flown by as it does with ministry. And uh, some of you realize what we do in ministry, it's, it's a big job. Um, I'll, I'll give you a really simple explanation of what we do. We do everything. <laughs> um, during COVID, we had to figure out things like setting up lights for video, editing video, um, setting up a QR code reader. They don't teach you how to do those kinds of things in seminary. <laughs> um, and, and to be very honest with you, ministry, ministry can be draining. You work long hours, you try to balance it with your family, um, and you do what needs to be done. From wrapping cables on the stage, to setting up sound equipment, to doing dishes, cleaning the floors, setting up table, counseling people, um, organizing ministry teams, the list goes on and on and on. And I'm telling you this because Pastor James, Pastor Levi, David, Mr. John downstairs, um, Paul Falgood in the back, they would never ask this, but they need your encouragement. They need your help. There's a lot to do here. And, but most of all, they need your prayers. They need to be overflowing with the love of God and the power of God so that they can do ministry. They can't do it on their own. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to say that right off the top uh, of this sermon. It's a joy for us to serve you guys. Sorry if I'm getting emotional today. This is... This is a, a, a big, big thing today. It's a joy to serve you guys both here and, <clears throat> excuse me, both here and down in Pyeongtaek. But to be honest, it's a lot. And, and it can feel overwhelming at times. Um, I've certainly felt that down in Pyeongtaek this year. And, and I've been serving there, as Pastor James said, almost exactly a year. I went down last Christmas. Um, to start preaching and uh, haven't looked back. <laughs> it's been really good, though, and, and there's, been, there's been times that I thought um, to myself, really, God, you want me to do this? Why not someone with more experience? Why not an older man? Why me? And you know what he's told me? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
My power is made perfect in weakness. Do you know how we receive that power? The Bible says in 2 Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need, how? How does that happen? Through our knowledge of him, it says. And what does this mean through our knowledge of him? Well, this scripture comes from 2 Peter 1. And if we back up a little bit to the first verse, it says, to those who through the, the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we need comes through knowing Jesus, placing our faith in him and knowing him. And we can know him because he came to earth as a little baby. He, he came and he lived on earth and he did ministry and he taught people who God is, what he's about, and, and why we, as his creation, are in trouble. We are a rebellious people who are caught in our own selfishness and rebellion to God. We want to be Lord of our own lives, and, and that's called sin. We need to be rescued from that. And so Jesus went to the cross and he died so that we would be free from that desire to rule our own lives. And we could repent of that and surrender our lives to him so that he now would be ruler and Lord of our lives. And then he rose again, giving us new life. We are a new creation when we place our faith in him. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas, the Christmas story, Jesus coming to earth for us. But specifically, we're going to be looking at why Jesus came and what the significance of the three offices that he holds are and what each of these offices means. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He came to this earth as our savior and our Messiah, and he, he fulfilled what was prophesied about him in the Old Testament. Moses says in Deuteronomy 18:15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Jesus is prophet. Jesus is also priest. The entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament was set up to point to Christ, and we see that in the book of Hebrews. And finally, the Old Testament speaks of a king that God will raise up from the line of David. All of the great leaders of Israel had at least one of these three offices. They were either prophets, priests, or kings. And when we think of a prophet, we often think of one who predicts the future, predicts things that are coming. And that can be a part of what a prophet does, but where does the prophet receive these visions or proclamations about the future? From God, right? A prophet is really someone who brings God's message to his people. 
Moses was a prophet. He brought God's words, his direction, guidance, and, and commandments to the Jewish people. The second role that some of the great leaders of Israel held were priests. Priests represented the people and made sacrifices on their behalf. Another great leader of the Jewish people was Samuel. Samuel was both prophet and priest. He brought God's message to his people, and, and he was a prophet. But he was also a Levite. He performed priestly duties such as offering sacrifices to God. Another great leader of Israel was David. He was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel to be king. King David was called by God a man after God's own heart. And when we read the Psalms, we see David's heart. Even in the hardest times of his life, he trusted God and he had a heart to serve God. David had a big misstep in his life, but he repented and surrendered his life again to God. And although there were consequences for his sin, his, his son died and, and he was not able to build God's temple, he was able to live out the rest of his days as God's servant king, and he's remembered as one of Israel's greatest leaders. Jesus, who, whom you can probably guess from the title of our sermon series, it's the banner back there, um, was not only a great leader, he held all three offices in Israel's, in Israel, sorry, he held all three offices. Jesus fulfilled both priestly and prophetic roles, and we're going to look more in more detail at those two roles over the next couple of Sundays, but today we're going to see how Jesus had the role of king. And if you have your Bibles or your Bible app ready, why don't you turn with me to Matthew 1. We see in, in chapter 1 of Matthew that Joseph becomes aware of that Mary is pregnant. And not wanting Mary to be publicly shamed, he, de he decides to divorce her quietly. Joseph is assuming that Mary has betrayed him and, and as a result has become pregnant. But before Joseph is able to go through with this, an angel visits him in a dream. And the angel says to him, this is verse 20, Matthew 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He will be called God with us. We know that Jesus came as a baby. In fact, he was sent by the Father, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? And I know here at FBC, you've been going through the Gospel of John. In Pyeongtaek, we've also been going through the Gospel of John. And we've seen that Jesus came, and he lived here on earth 2,000 years ago, God with us. He came and he ministered to the Jewish people. He taught them about God. 
about himself. You see, he is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is God. But he also taught us about the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he taught the Jewish people about themselves, that they were sinners, rebels in, in need of a savior. And because of the work of the Holy Spirit in followers of Jesus, we have the four gospels and we too are able to learn about God and about ourselves through the words and works of Jesus written down for us in the gospels. Jesus came and lived here God with us. And this was foretold in the Old Testament. The angel quotes to Joseph this prophecy, which is actually from the book of Isaiah. Joseph wasn't the only one to receive a visit from an angel, though. We know from the Gospel of Luke that the angel Gabriel visits Mary, and he tells her that although she is a virgin, she will conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she is also told that his name will be Jesus. And Gabriel shares a different prophecy with Mary. He says, this is in Luke chapter 2, the Lord will give to him the, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a prophecy that's repeated throughout the book of Daniel. And you may or may not be aware that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the coming of Jesus. What do these prophecies say? Well, we just saw five prophecies. Jesus will be born of a virgin. He will be called, people will call him God with us. The Father will give him the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will not end. And so this morning, we're going to look at more of these prophecies, but our main focus this morning is Jesus, Jesus's role as king. What else does the Old Testament say about Jesus as king? Before we look at, at that, what is the history of kings in Israel? Did you know that, the, that, the, that God's original plan was that he himself would be king over Israel. And after he led, <clears throat> excuse me, after he led Israel to the promised land, they, they start to forget about God. They start to forget about what he's done. And they begin to worship gods of, of nations around them. Because of this, God handed them over to their enemies. And when they cried out to, for help, he raised up a leader from among them to deliver them. This was a dark time in, in Israel's history, and they continued this cycle of rebelling against God. God, in turn, handing them over to their enemies, Israel then crying out for help, and God sending a leader to rescue them. These leaders were called judges. And they were not judges in the sense of someone in a robe with a gavel calling for order in the court. The Hebrew word that is translated judge in English is much broader than what we would call a judge. It did have to do with administering justice, but it also had to do with ruling or leading. And so God sent these judges 
to free Israel from their captors and then to lead them back to him. Again, this was a vicious cycle that continued on until the people of Israel finally got tired of it and they demanded that they have a real king because other nations have one. And so they thought, we need to have one too. And that's exactly what they told Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel. Samuel was not happy about this, and so he goes to God in prayer, and this is what God says to him. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 7. God says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Again, this is in 1 Samuel 7, and it goes on to explain what claim as his rights means. It means that Israel's kings will have the right to conscript men into the army, to take both men and women to serve him in his palace, to take a tax of food and animals from the people. And Samuel finishes explaining this to the people in verse 17. He says, he will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. This is so sad. Israel had clearly forgotten that their current king, God himself had been fighting their battles. He had delivered them from Egypt and led them to the land that they now lived in. And he had continued to deliver them whenever they sinned and and fell back into rebellion. And, And guess what happens in this new era of kings? Same cycle, rebellion, repentance, deliverance. Rebellion, repentance, deliverance. And after about 300 years of this, God finally puts an end to this cycle. Not that he hadn't been trying during those years. He sent some major prophets like Elijah, Elisha, and Isaiah. But this time, 300 years later, the Jewish people had split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And it's around this time that the Assyrians come and they invade the northern kingdom of Israel. They come and they carry away most of the Israelites to Assyria. And not only that, the Assyrians place foreigners from all over the world into the capital of Israel, which was called Samaria. That's why Samaritans were considered unclean. They were a mix of foreigners and Jews. Anyway, I mentioned the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived at this time in Judah, the southern kingdom. Specifically, he lived in its capital city in Jerusalem. 
And Isaiah starts the book of Isaiah by telling readers that the descendants of David have all become evil kings, murderers and thieves. And one of the main themes of the book of Isaiah is this, Israel's sin, divine justice, restoration of Israel with a new king, and then peace on earth. If you've read the book of Isaiah, it's, it's not easy to understand. It's mostly poetry. And Isaiah starts to develop this theme of sin, justice, restoration, and peace by poetically describing how King Ahaz comes under the yoke of Assyria and is not only forced into heavy financial tribute to Assyria, but this agreement with Assyria leads to the people of the kingdom of Judah to engage in false worship. Isaiah confronts Ahaz, but the king refuses to change. Despite the hopelessness of the situation, Isaiah offers a prophecy of hope in chapter 9. And, and we know true prophecy comes from God. That's how Isaiah is able to declare that a king will come who will rescue the Jewish people. And it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Why is this prophecy in chapter 9 so significant? Well, first of all, the Jewish people were in a bad predicament when Isaiah wrote this. They needed to be delivered. They needed a deliverer. And that deliverer had always been God. Even when, God, when, even when they reject God as king, even when they are in this situation with Assyria, even when not long after this, they're, they're actually exiled and hauled off to Babylon. God was always prepared to rescue his people. Believe it or not, this promise of a deliverer goes back even further to the Garden of Eden when God is pronouncing judgment on Adam and Eve and the serpent. Adam and Eve had disobeyed God's one command to them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they do. And so sin, rebellion, brings God's judgment. And the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve also receives judgment. God says to the serpent in Genesis 3, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So in the midst of judgment, God offers hope. Even though humanity messed it all up right from the beginning, God promises to bring restoration almost immediately. This, the offspring in this promise, of course, is Jesus. And he shall overcome the evil one, bruise his head, to put it lightly, in order to accomplish ultimate victory. He is a triumphant king 
for he will triumph over sin and death. So Jesus is a triumphant king. What else does the Bible say about who Jesus is as king? Well, Isaiah 9 is actually a great place to look. Who, to look at who Jesus is, is as king. Verse 6 says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When Isaiah says that he will be called Counselor, he's talking about the wisdom with which he will rule. In Isaiah 11, we, we get a bigger picture of this. It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. And so he will be a wonderful counselor. And wonderful here could also be translated exceptional. He will be an exceptionally wise ruler. His name shall be called Mighty God. Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is mighty God. His name shall be called Everlasting Father. This actually has nothing to do with the Trinity. God the Father and God the Son are different persons, and different persons in the Trinity. These titles here in Isaiah are actually all refer to Jesus as King. And so he will be like a father. He will care for and protect his people, and he will do it forever. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. Jesus as king will bring peace. And we also see this announced by the angels to the shepherds in Luke 2. They say to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This peace is not for everyone, but only for those who call Jesus their king. You see, in, in the King James Version, it, it's a little confusing. It says, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, and that's actually the version or the lyrics of most Christmas carols. Jesus didn't come to bring peace for everyone, for the whole earth. He came to bring peace to those who repent of their sin and surrender their lives to him. Only those who place their face, faith in Jesus are able to experience the peace that he offers and, and only they are freed from their sin. Verse seven refers to his kingdom. It says, of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. This is uh, the NIV. In the ESV, it says, of the increase of his government. Jesus' rule will extend beyond the borders of Israel and include all Gentiles. And, and so his kingdom will be great and it will be accompanied by peace and it will have no end. We see rulers come and go. We see the borders of countries or kingdoms change. There used to be an East Germany, right? But Jesus' kingdom will have no borders. It extends to all who bow down before him, and it will last forever. He will rule forever. It also says in verse 7, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. God made a promise to David that he would raise up one from David's line, that he would establish, and that through this person he would establish his throne forever. 
And we see from both Joseph and Mary's lineage in Matthew and Luke that Jesus was a descendant of David. This is exactly the reason they are in Bethlehem. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem, the home of his ancestors, to register for the census. And so he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Jesus is God, and the kingdom of God is not established on earth by force. It's established when the Father sends the Son to die. Earthly kingdoms bring peace with force, with military might. That's how Rome did it. But God's kingdom is so completely different than the kingdoms on earth. We're told in Matthew 20, the first will be last and the last will be first. God's kingdom defines justice and righteousness because those are qualities of the character of God. We only know about justice because we are made in his image. He is the ultimate example of justice and of doing what is right. We, know, we only know what is right because he teaches us what is right. He is righteousness. He defines it. So he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. From that time on and, and forever. When did Jesus become king? Was it when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? Or was it when he died and rose again and triumphed over sin and death? Or was it when he ascended back to the Father after the resurrection and, and was seated at the right hand of the Father, as Hebrews 1 tells us? It was, it was before all of this. Jesus was born a king. The angels gave that royal announcement of his birth to the shepherds. The wise men came seeking him out because he was a king. King Herod was even threatened by this. And, and so he had all of the babies in that area under two killed. And, and throughout the Gospels, we see the recognition of his kingship. When Jesus first calls his disciples, we see in John chapter 1, Philip tells Nathanael, we found the Messiah. And so they go to Jesus, and Jesus says to Nathanael in verse 47, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Because of the scriptures... The Jewish people knew that the Messiah was a king from the line of David who would deliver them. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem um, on a donkey. We call that day Palm Sunday now. And what do the people cry out? They cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus was already a king. When he's nailed to the cross, 
there's a sign placed above his head which reads, King of the Jews. And it was meant for his shame, but the cross was his triumph as king. He didn't ride into Jerusalem as king on a war horse. His triumph was not over the Romans, as the Jewish people expected that it would be. His triumph as king was offering himself as a sacrifice for his people. This king gave his life for his people. Most earthly kings, we would expect, uh, or would, they would expect, people would give their lives for them, right? King Jesus gave his life for us. And why? Why did he do that? Because of sin. Because of our rebellion. I, I remember reading the Old Testament uh, as a young man and, and thinking, these people are idiots. <laughs> How can God's people, Israel, continue this pattern of rebellion, repentance, deliverance? Rebellion, repentance, deliverance. How can they forget about God so easily? And then I realized, that's me. I'm the same. I'm as forgetful and self-centered as they were. And I needed someone to come and rescue me just as much as, as they did. Jesus has come as king to teach us about God, to teach us about ourselves, that we are a rebellious people in need of rescuing. And then he did it. He rescued us. He triumphed over sin and death. He came and he will come back. And when he returns, we will see the fullness of his kingdom and what it means for him to be king. His kingdom is here now. We as the church are a part of it. But it's not fully here yet. God is giving people time to repent. Because when his kingdom fully comes, it will be too late. We see that, it, it, we see that in several of Jesus' parables. He's coming back, and when he comes for some, it will be too late. And, and so I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus your king? Do you recognize that you need to be rescued? If you, if you have given your life to this king, then you know that he is a wonderful counselor, he is mighty God, he is an everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. If you have not given your life to this king this morning, it's not too late. Not, not yet, anyway. Come talk to me, come talk to Pastor James, Pastor Levi, David, a missional family leader. There's lots of people that would love to pray with you. Let's go to our king now in prayer. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you have come. That's what this Christmas season is all about. You came as a little baby and you lived here on earth. And you taught us about who God is. You taught us about our need to repent and surrender to you. And you died and rose again to rescue us from, from sin and to give us new life. 